Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters podcast, a series of candid conversations with leading experts about how individuals and organizations can grow and protect their finances, tailored around current events and trends. Here's your host for today's podcast, Brian Peterangelo. Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. It's Friday, January 7th, 2022. I'm Brian Peterangelo. Happy New Year to everybody. With me today, we have two of our investment experts, George Mateo, our Chief Investment Officer, and Steve Haight, Head of Equities. As a reminder, a lot of great content available on Key.com, including articles from our Wealth Institute on many different topics, and especially our Key Questions article series, addressing a critical topic of the week. It's been an interesting week, so let's jump right in. Talking about the jobs report that came out just about an hour ago, 199,000, a little bit less than expectations, but also some upward revisions from October and November. Also, the unemployment rate went down overall from 4.2% in November to 3.9% in December. George and Steve, what are your thoughts? Yeah, Brian, good morning. Thanks for the uh, the intro. I think I think you're right in, in characterizing it as kind of a mixed report overall, um, but still pretty solid. You know, I still think we're kind of clawing our way back. And uh, despite maybe the fact that the headline number wasn't quite as robust as expected, you still saw some good things underneath the surface a little bit that suggest the, uh, you know, the recovery is still on track and uh, we're kind of digging our way out of it. We're still, you know, a couple million short of where we were pre-pandemic in terms of the number of jobs. Uh, I think that's pretty noteworthy in the sense that demand is still pretty robust. And frankly, there just isn't the labor supply to meet that demand, um, you know, point to point. So I think the result of that, you're going you're to see, uh, see wages continue to stay somewhat elevated. I think in the report that came out this morning, wages were, were up some 4.7, 4.5% or so. Some of that has to do with some mixed shift issues. Um, some other things kind of that kind of, kind of cause those numbers to be a, a little bit fluky, but I think the general trend is still intact where the recovery is ongoing, uh, wages are still somewhat elevated, um, unemployment dropped quite a bit. So the actual unemployment rate, I think, fell below 4%. Um, and I think it seems like it's headed down to the low threes, if not even lower. And that, again, could kind of continue to put pressure on wages and inflation uh, for the rest of the, at least for the quarter, maybe the first half of this year, I think. Steve, what do you take of the report? You know, to me, George, the most important number in this report was the 3.9% unemployment rate out of the household survey, because it really opens the door for the Fed to go in March, as opposed to, to waiting to later in the spring or, or June. You've got the, a complete change in the liftoff scenario now. Uh, the Fed had targeted 4% as its you know, line in the sand in terms of what it considered full employment, and we're there. We're there. So, I, I mean, I think that we are going to see the market start to rapidly price in the idea that the tightening cycle is going to come quicker than we had expected. Yeah, indeed. We got, uh, it seems like we got kind of validation of that this week when the Fed didn't really do anything. And they didn't really say anything, uh, but they just uh, they released their minutes from their last meeting officially, which suggested that they, they're getting more active. Um, they're almost kind of taking the Omicron situation and, and putting it off the, the, off the table, basically, removing it off the table, I should say. And it seems like you know they're ready, as you pointed out to you, to, to start hiking rates potentially, uh, maybe a couple of times more than people expected. At the same time, they're starting to signal that they're going to slow their bond buying purchasing program known as tapering. So, you know, I think the Fed is certainly, they've more than just pivoted. I mean, they're there, right? I, I certainly think that they are the story of the year. Uh, you know, what, what we're going to see is something that anybody who's a, <laughs> a professional investor that is uh, under the age of 40 
or anybody really who's under the age of 40 uh, hasn't seen a Fed that has been hawkish, right? So I, I think how markets react to this is really an open question. Oldsters like us, George, we've, we've been around and, and seen this before, but so many market participants haven't. It's going to be really interesting to watch unfold. Yeah, you're right to note that I think there's a kind of a newbiness, if you will, or a, a novice um, kind of investor base that probably has to navigate their way through this. Although we did see, you know, the Fed um, raise rates in 2017, 18. Uh, they got pretty aggressive then, but then had to pivot and now they're pivoting again. So what I haven't seen is this, this kind of on again, off again cycle. I mean, it's certainly the, yeah. the coronavirus has kind of maybe exacerbated that, but I'm just kind of my, I guess I feel whipsawed myself thinking that if I look over the course of geez, just four or five years, uh, you know, the Fed's changed their mind and their policy pretty aggressively uh, in, in that short, relatively short period of time. The biggest fear that I have, George, is that the Fed has this tendency to, to, wait, until, to wait until this data has, has gotten so bad that they have to become very aggressive. And then when they become aggressive, they have a tendency to break things. Um, and whether it's the repo market in 2018 or whether it's the dot-com bubble in 2000 or, or the housing bubble, I mean, when they go, um, they tend to go too far uh, and something in the market um, snaps. And I, I don't have any idea what it's going to be this time, but I know that market participants are really focused on trying to figure out, hey, is the Fed going to be able to remove accommodation and do it in such a way as to not cause a dislocation because the historical track record on them being able to remove accommodation without causing a problem is not good. You know, yeah. that's a good observation. And one of the other things that some believe the Fed's been consistent over the last few months and some believe that they've been inconsistent. One of the things that showed up recently in the Fed minutes was the potential for quantitative tightening. That's a little bit new relative to the uh, script. What are your thoughts? Well, just to kind of lay out some terms, I mean, the, the thing that when Steve talks about, you know, accommodation, that again is the, I guess, the exact inverse of uh, of tightening or quantitative tightening. So accommodation is just this massive amount of stimulus that the Fed and other central banks around the world have put forth to try and, and uh, save the economy from COVID. Um, and, and certainly now that they're kind of kind of reversing that, now we're going to this tightening phase. And yeah, we've been talking about the pivot for quite some time. Um, I guess the overall tenor is it's probably a bit more aggressive in terms of what people thought would be the case just a few days ago, literally. But you know, I think you know we have to keep one thing in mind is that you know it's really not the Fed, the first Fed hike rate that um, that causes the market to really um, sell off, if you will. It's a subsequent series of, of rate hikes. Um, you know, I think we, if we look back over time, it's not the first shot that kind of gets everybody nervous. It's, you know, as Steve pointed out, it's multiple hikes or maybe the Fed moving too quickly, uh, too aggressively. And, and yeah, he's, he's right to think about the fact that there, there's history there that suggests that that could happen. But um, I don't think it's time to be uber bearish right now either and get super defensive. I mean, I think we're still kind of enjoying a pretty good recovery from where we were a year ago. Profits are still really robust. We'll get, of course, a fresh set of profit numbers in the next few weeks or so as we close out the uh, the year from 2021. And, uh, you know, the overall economic backdrop, as we started pointing out earlier, is still pretty, pretty favorable. So I think we can kind of grow our way through this. It just depends on, again, maybe the second half of this year as to how quickly the Fed moves. But maybe I'm reading that differently, Steve. What do you think? No, I, I think when you're right to point to earnings, George, because the, at the end of the day, the direction of the S&P 500 tends to be governed by the direction of the forward 12-month estimated earnings line. And you know, we've, we look at the same chart, seems like 
almost every week, but the 12 month forward estimated earnings line is still trending up and to the right for the 500. It's at 222 as this week closes. Uh, you know, we think that that number is likely to gravitate up toward 240 as we get to the end of the year. And if you're gonna have earnings go from 222 to 240, uh, it's hard to see the market having a really bad time. Now that the doesn't mean that we can't have, you know, dislocations or corrections as the, the market digests the removal of policy accommodation or, you know, geopolitical issues or what have you. But at the end of the day, um, we still think that within a, an increased market volatility regime for 2022, the, the bias for the market is to the upside. Now, speaking of volatility, Steve, we saw December unfold with pretty wide swings almost on a daily basis going up and down anywhere from 1% to 2% and in some cases above 2% or below 2% on the downside. And we've seen some of that come into 2022. What are your thoughts with regard to volatility and, and managing that volatility from, from your perspective? Yeah, I think that when you look at the paper from 2013-14, it gives us a really good roadmap as to what to expect. And if you overlay that tightening cycle with the current cycle, uh, what you see is an increase in volatility starting right about now and lasting through the next six, say six to nine months. Um, in 2014, uh, 13, 14, we saw the market have a bias to the upside with increased volatility. And it seems to us that that roadmap is pretty applicable right now. Um, you know, we've definitely seen some pretty pronounced rotation away from a lot of the growth high flying names uh, toward some of the value and cyclicality names. Um, in, in fact, the best performing group here to start 2022 is the banks, which makes perfect sense given that they have leverage to higher rates. Rates move up, banks move up because net, net interest margins improve, they earn more money, plain and simple. So you know, I think that we, we see pockets of opportunity where the increase in volatility is, is driving uh, rotation that investors can take advantage of. But we definitely think the regime for, for volatility is much higher this year than we've seen over the last couple of years. That, yeah, the only thing I would note, I guess, that you know, Steve uh, is right to draw these parallels from 2013. And if anything, it's probably more of an, an accelerated typer. And it means that the Fed is, is actually moving more aggressively, more rapidly than they were back then. Because I think we were still kind of coming out of the great financial crisis uh, of 2008-9. And the economy was, was still fragile. Today, the economy is in really great shape. I mean, consumers' balance sheets are at record levels. Uh, and that's really a function of the, the rising stock market and home prices. Corporate balance sheets are also really robust. And even the financial sector, as Steve pointed out, in addition to actually benefiting from higher rates, you know, their, their balance sheets are in really good shape as well. So we've got kind of a three-legged stool, if you will, that's actually uh, kind of providing a lot of support to the economy. And then I'd also note that you know, these things that kind of we kind of refer to as growth scares uh, are really uh, real events. And we're probably, you know, we might see one of those to the C's point earlier, where if the Fed is, is, is kind of overdoing it and maybe at the same time that they start raising rates, we might start to see a bit of momentum shift downward in the economy, not a recession, but just a, a deceleration of growth, if you will. 
And when you get these growth scares every once in a while, they're scary, but you know, they usually are, are short-lived. I mean, they could last you know, a couple of weeks or maybe even a few months. Um, and again, markets don't really kind of respond favorably to that, but they, they really don't, we don't have a big bear market, if you will. So we have some volatility, Steve pointed out. It's not surprising that in any one given year, you could see declines of 10 or 15% on the major averages. But you know, for the time being, I think you want to kind of be focused on maintaining your discipline, looking for opportunities, as Steve pointed out, and you know, trusting active management to try and help you uh, navigate these uh, these choppy times. Fantastic, George. Thanks for that uh, that color. And it wouldn't be a podcast uh, at Key Wealth Matters if we didn't at least touch on uh, the main topics of inflation and Omicron from the perspective of what might be going through your mind and what you think we're looking at for the next month or so. Well, look, I think, you know, we're going to probably see a lot more elevated inflation ratings in the next uh, few months, as you said. I think I think there's probably a bigger debate as to how quickly inflation does get back to its quote-unquote long-term trend and long-term average. And even I think the definition of the long-term average is probably a little bit suspect. I mean, over a long period of time, we went back and looked at data going back almost 70 years, and I think the historical average is somewhere close to 3.5%. And that probably is, you know, a reasonable way to think about where we would kind of drift down towards. I mean, again, inflation, as we've talked about on these calls, is uh, is currently in the, the high fours, low fives. And for it to kind of uh, meander down to something with a three handle makes a lot of sense to me. Where I think um, some of the forecasts might be a bit optimistic is that people are calling for inflation to fall to the low twos and even fall below two. Um, and I think, you know, that might be possible in the out years, but certainly not this year. So I don't think we're going to see inflation kind of drift down to, you know, 1.8, I think is the low end of the street right now in terms of overall uh, forecast for inflation, because I still think wages are pretty elevated. Housing is pretty robust uh, and you know, energy is kind of a wild card, but I think you've got a few uh, few factors and a few forces in play. And then with respect to Omicron, just the, the way that we kind of debate, you know, how you define a long-term average for inflation, I think people are starting to debate really what it means to be vaccinated, right? So how do you actually, are you, are, when, you're vac- are you, when you're fully vaccinated, do you have the booster too or not? What I'm kind of really sensing is that the administration and other policymakers are now kind of shifting their thinking to say that we're never going to get over this, unfortunately. This is going to be just something that's going to be with us. Uh, but it's kind of be like the flu. Like, we just have to kind of get our annual shot, hopefully, and then go about our lives. And, and certainly, this is a bit more scary, perhaps. But certainly, every year, unfortunately, many people die from the flu. And if we can kind of maybe change our mindset around Omicron and, uh, and COVID-19, you know, maybe we'll be in a different place in a couple of months from now. Who knows? But that's one thing I'm thinking about. How about you, Steve? Uh, I'll... I'll echo your comments there, George, on Omicron. At the end of the day, this is going to be endemic, and we just are going to have to learn how to live with it as a society. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I think the part of the, the thing that people are just going to have to get over is the, the fear, and whether it's the media that has stoked it or you know, politicians using it for various reasons, you know, I think as a as a society, we just need to figure out how to to move forward and, and get back to living. You know, um, when when you think about inflation, inflation is uh, is going to be persistent, and you know we're going to be dealing with it. I think that that two percent handle that you mentioned, it's not we're not likely to see that for quite a long time. Well, George, Steve, thanks so much for your insights. As always, we appreciate you joining us today. Uh, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know our, your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, your portfolio strategist, or your advisor for more information. We'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. Thanks, everybody. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. 
The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of a collection of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are offered by Key Bank National Association, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. Key ba private bank and Key Bank institutional advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services LLC or KISS, member FINRA, SIPC, and SEC registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency USA, or KIA. KIS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investment and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. Key Bank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by Key Corp 2021.